Welcome to Seeds, a show where we talk with people who are living lives of purpose and doing amazing things that make a positive impact in our world. We take time to listen to them as they reflect on their life journeys and what has shaped them into who they are today and what motivates them to be involved in what they do. Well, kia ora, everyone. Welcome on to Seeds Podcast. This is Stephen Moe, and I'm really glad you could join me for this episode because we get a chance to speak with Una Brown all about chocolate and cacao and her life story. Make sure to check out her website, which is in the show notes. If you enjoy this, then if you're a new listener and in a podcast app, why not hit subscribe? And why not tell one other person about this show? That's really the only way for it to grow. So I really appreciate your direct involvement in helping to tell others about it. And there's heaps more information at theseeds.nz. And don't forget, a book recently came out called Laying Foundations for Reimagining Business. And you can get a free copy at that website. Or just drop me an email at stephen at theseeds.nz. Now let's get straight into this interview with Una. All right, so it's a real pleasure to welcome Una Brown, who's the founder of the Cacao Ambassador. Thank you for joining me. Thank you. It's a pleasure. I'm really glad to have you here because we are going to have an interesting conversation. I know already because there's going to be chocolate involved, right? <laughs> um, everybody loves chocolate. Everyone. Well, almost. Almost everyone loves yeah. chocolate. No, it's going to be amazing because I think um, it's something that we all... Uh, it, it, it touches all of our lives, but we don't often think about the origins or the history or you know what is actually going on in the world economy today and who is being impacted. So I would really love to find out all about those topics. But before we do that, what I like to do with the podcast is go back in time and find out about people's journeys and why it is that they do what they do today. So in your case, could we go back to when you were four or five years old where were you living, and what was life like then? All right, so you may pick up from my accent that I'm Irish. So I grew up in Ireland. So then I was at, yeah, obviously with my family. I had three brothers, and I grew up in a very small town in Ireland, um, strong Catholic background. Mm-hmm. And What was the name of the town? Is uh, it somewhere I would have heard of, or yeah, is it that small? Definitely <laughs> not. It's called Balting Glass, and definitely not. But right. it's about an hour south of Dublin. Okay. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So going to Dublin was a big, big treat. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And what, what happened in that area? Was it like farming community? Was it, yeah? Yeah, predominantly farming community. So this was a small town that served that community. And, uh, yeah, my, my dad was a teacher in the high school, mm-hmm. and my mom was a stay-at-home housewife, and she nourished us with lots of beautiful cooking and cuisine. Mm-hmm. And I think there I always um, I loved uh, that aspect, um, but I always felt she was not, she was so capable of so much. She could have run a big multinational company. And so that never, you know, that never fitted with me in terms of, her being undervalued in that role but as a as a chef she was extraordinary mm, amazing yeah. and just before i'd love to find out more about her but just thinking about the i guess the surroundings like had your family been in that area for a long time or was it a a new place your parents had come um, my granddad was a policeman mm-hmm. in the town and that was um uh, quite a quite a role in those times because it was a very small um police force and it's quite a famous town in terms of the the troubles in ireland right back in the 1920s okay and one of the um leaders of the the rebels the original ira which was is you know very different um came from that area Hmm. yeah so it's got quite a history around that and then there's also on the mountain on the hilltop i would say 
where you could see from my house this ancient um, structure. And they were so common in Ireland, people didn't even think about them. But this was an ancient, like, uh, Stonehenge hmm. of uh, stone rocks of a circle. We used to just, that was one of my favorite places to visit. And I didn't really know why, but it was just full of mystery and magic. Wow. And we used to call them fairy rings. Yeah, yeah. And, and you just didn't think about it. It was just part of the culture. It was just there. And, mm. and, and you drive past fields, and there was just these clear fields, and then this circle of trees and stones, and the farmers never touched those. Mm. It brought bad luck. Yeah. So they'd been there for hundreds and thousands, thousands of years. Thousands of years. Thousands. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. amazing, isn't it? I think sometimes we get so focused on our, our everyday lives that we forget the history of a place. Yeah. And also what you said there, you know, like the the fairies or the, the feeling of the place, like that there's something magical that, that, that could happen there. Yeah, and I think for me, I've had to leave Ireland to really rediscover the magic that's in the land because being brought up as a Catholic, that was very predominant and you weren't really taught to feel and sense into the magic that's all around. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there's a lot, a lot of magic in Ireland. You know, it's got such an ancient Celtic uh, story and, and history to it. Mm. Yeah. So is that something that you feel like you've explored now, having left rather than when you were there? Very much so, yes. Um, a very, very mainstream upbringing in the Catholic Church, which never I never felt I belonged, and I always knew I was going to leave Ireland. Mm-hmm. But that was more, I think, to find myself rather than the energy of the land. So that's something I have explored since leaving, and then when I go back, it's like, wow. <laughs> and what have been some of the things you've found? I'm just curious, you know, in exploring or learning more about that ancient traditions and, you know, the places. Is there anything that stands out? That Well, uh, for me, it's the connection to nature and to the land and as a reflection of who we really are. That has been, um, you know, really part of my, my quest and my journey when we'll get into and talk about cacao is that deep connection to nature mm-hmm. and you know, in terms of Druidism and the Celtic ancient ways, it was all about being in tune, in resonance, and listening and following that flow, the harmony of the seasons, the foods, all of that. Mm-hmm. So that for me is really important. And we have to reach further to find that. But when we do, it's so enriching and it's really amazing to bring it into modern life. Because for me, it's not about going back into the old ways. It's about how to bring it alive now in, in these times. Mm. Yeah. yeah, that's really good. Well, maybe we'll come back to that topic because it's yeah. an interesting one. And you mentioned your mother who impressed with her cooking and other things. Um, yeah, tell me a bit more about her. Well, like I said, she she ran the house like a, a, a company, like was just so efficient and so incredible. And um, yeah, I just think she... she you know, she would have been amazing stretching herself in other ways, but she certainly provided a beautiful home and um, and cooking. And and she was brought up a Catholic, and I think she, she's so devoted to that belief that even though I, I left that and traveled in my own discoveries of, of sort of a, from a no place, letting everything go, her sense of devotion always brought me back to, to look because there was something in that, not so much around the trappings around it, but that mm. core strength mm. of belief that carried her through everything. Mm. Someone um, who you respected so much and yes. put so much weight into it, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it just always kept me, what is that? You know, 
coming back to that core question. Mm. Yeah. Oh, yeah. that's great. Yeah. 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 So the environment that you're describing, to me, it sounds like it's sort of an outdoor outdoors sort of childhood would that be right like you spend yeah, a lot of time yes very much and of course you know tv didn't really you know in ireland we had two tv channels okay <laughs> <laughs> and if you want to watch something everybody had to watch the same thing that, yeah. that was it one tv and yeah so i just definitely remember my friends being outside a lot mm. a lot in nature and um, my very close friend had a farm and that just i just love being there mm. i love that so much and just the freedom of that on the land and in the trees and mm-hmm. and these stone forms that you could find anywhere, you know, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, it must have been a fun place to explore. Definitely, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then my other favorite was we would go f- away for a month every year to on the Atlantic Ocean on the west coast of Ireland. Okay. And my my dad did a lot of work with restoring old houses and bringing water to, um, this was in the early part of his career, and bringing water to like stone cottages that never had water. And he was quite famous in that area. So he built a little cottage before he left. And we used to go there every summer. Mm. And that was an extraordinary part of the world, right on the Atlantic, you know, the last piece of land before the big Atlantic Ocean to America. Mm. And that was so rich with magic. Yeah. So describe it for us. Like, I imagine it's a very wild sort of place. Wild, barren rocks, um, like heather, you know, that kind of Mm -hmm. short scrub, but full of color and um, this beautiful flower called the honeysuckle, uh, rich and red. So very earthy tones, a lot of rock. All the fencing was done with rocks, small little fields, small little farm holdings, and the ocean. It was just so wild and free. Wow. I just, it just, yeah, everything was good when you were there. Nothing, nothing could worry you. Yeah, that's amazing. Mm-hmm. And, it, it, and to stand at the shore as well and look out and realize that there's there's nothing for hundreds and hundreds of miles, right? Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And then the wildness of the ocean too, and it was cold. <laughs> yeah, but it was just magic. Yeah. yeah. Well, it sounds like they used nature, you know, to you know, rocks, hmm. using rocks to build the housing and the fencing, and like it's very integrated. Very much so, and and very very remote, and and still still quite remote, but also. That area was um, uh, what we call a Gwaeltoc area, so people spoke native Irish. So while I was going there, the local people spoke native Irish, which was unusual. There was only a few small pockets in Ireland at that time. Mm. And it was beautiful to be amongst that. I mean, the Irish language is gorgeous. It's so lilting. And, and then also that whole area is full of traditional music. So you would go to the pubs and you go as a child and you'd have your seven up and there would just be the most amazing live traditional music. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I really want to go there. <laughs> I know. I, that, that, there's so much magic in that. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. And the language that they spoke, is that something that, um, that you learned? Or? Yeah, I did. I, I really wanted to become fluent in it. Mm. And so for a couple of summers, I went and just immersed myself there and only spoke Gaelic. Oh. And I became fluent, but I haven't spoken in about 20 years. So, right. Yeah, yeah. So I'm going to put you on the spot, but what, what, you know, you mentioned it's kind of a melodious sort of sounding language. Yeah. What would be a phrase that would get that across? Okay. The, so I love to, when I do workshops, I love to use the word, the phrase, Kate Mila Fulcher, which means a hundred thousand welcomes. Hmm. Yeah. That's nice. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's an amazing thing. I, language is such a, it's such a way to convey who people are as well you know the way that you express yourself and the way because i speak some spanish and spanish as well like it, it 
it's a very musical sort of language. Mm. And um, I think, yeah, when you, if you think about it, English is good, but it's, it's kind of very functional, and it's just yeah, word, 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 yeah. whereas the yeah. more musical languages. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and that's really conveyed in the Irish traditional music, you know, which is because, you know, Ireland um, has a lot of grey weather. I mean, it's just mm. a given. It's so green, but what creates so much green? The rain. Mm-hmm. And so that was compensated by the language and the colour of the music and the dancing and storytelling. Mm. And that was a really important part of compensating for that dark winters, long winters, a lot of grey. Even the summer could be could be great mm. so that yeah that was a really important part mm. of the color bringing color in in different forms mm. yeah so going there as a child is that what stimulated your desire to learn the language or was that something yeah what was the origin of that i think it's just something that's really in me in terms of living on a land and understanding the mm. language i'm really drawn to do the same here in and learn maori and i've started a little bit on that journey um, because it's really important to the connection of the land and where you belong mm. and where you live and honouring the the previous generations. Mm. And also, I just I just love the language. Mm. I love that. And in Ireland, you ha- it's mandatory to study it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's like let's let's do it all the way. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's yeah. great. Oh, I love it. Yeah, well, definitely, I'll add that. I haven't been to that part, so I'd I'd love to go and visit. So that's more. called Donegal, the place I used to go in the okay. Atlantic Ocean. Yeah. Oh, wonderful. Yeah. Well, one of my colleagues, Emma, is from Ireland, so she'll be able to give me some more tips of where to go, Definitely. I'm sure. Yeah. That's amazing. So you're coming through, let's say, into your high school years. Was there topics that you enjoyed studying or yeah, what type of a person were you becoming in your teenage years? I would say that I really sort of, started to just really conform and I just wanted to get through schooling um, and do well. Um, I mean, I loved lots of extracurricular activities, but my focus was I wanted to go into business. Um, And it was kind of like back then, you know, it's very different now with my teenagers and just such a rich, it's an open book Mm -hmm. in terms of really knowing who they are and and supporting that. But when I look back, it was less like there was kind of this narrow field of what you did and how you proceeded. And it was be a teacher, maybe be in business. Um, I used to love to write, and but that was never, I didn't even consider going into the arts. Or mm. didn't even, it was a very uncreative environment, even though below the line, you know, there was so much magic. But mm. in terms of the pathway of education, it was a very, very, and I didn't even think of stepping outside of that mm. back then. And, yeah, so I, I, I studied mainstream subjects. There wasn't much choice. Um, and I did, I, I did English, of course, because that was mandatory. But I remember when I was sitting in my final exams, there was immense pressure. I used to have nightmares at those exams for about 10 years afterwards, you know, yeah. until I was 17 and the pressure that was of... I don't know, five or six exams, and that was your whole next stage of your life determined by that. But I remember sitting down to my English paper, and something happened, and this is where I create, now I create cacao and chocolate from, but I had no idea what happened then. And it's just like this magic happened, and I just wrote, and I lost myself in that paper, and I, it just poured and poured and poured. And I got like in the top 5% in English, and even my English teacher was like, 
I mean, I did. I used to, you know, do well, but that was just un- phenomenal. I couldn't describe it to anybody what happened to me. Hmm. I just tapped into that creative place that had not broken open since I was a tiny little child, and wow. it just downloaded. Yeah. yeah. But I, even after that experience, I didn't even consider <laughs> going into writing English, anything creative. I was still on my mainstream track. Right. University business. Yeah. 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 Oh, interesting. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I wonder how much feeds into, you know, subconsciously, what feeds into our souls or what feeds into us that becomes the well water that, that bubbles up and comes out so that at that moment you would have inspiration to write. And, I, you know, like yeah, the, yeah. the influences and the nature and the other things. Yeah, um, I think in that moment it was like the pressure of the exam mm. and... You know, it was like a, my first experience of that conscious stream of writing. And, yeah, that's right. It was just a cracking moment, but I didn't take it. <laughs> <laughs> I just couldn't. There was no reference for me. There was nobody to explain it. It was just so out of the box. Yeah. You know? um, but, yeah. I, I, you know, I just I thought of it so often. Uh, yeah. But to grow up in a place that has inherently the beauty that you've been able to experience outside and then the language and things, you know, it gets your brain thinking and having a second language like that. There's an amazing podcast interview, which you'll have to listen to if you haven't yet, but with John O'Donohue. And I don't know if you know him, but he was yes. Irish yes. poet, yeah. philosopher, yeah. priest, amazing, amazing person. Yeah. And he was on a sh- one of my favorite podcasts called On Being with Krista Tippett. So she's a U.S. interviewer. And the episode is all about beauty. And he describes where he's from, basically, and the beauty in nature and all around. And and um, I think some of that, it feels like what he's describing, maybe that had influenced you as well, just the beauty of the landscapes and, and where you'd grown up. Very much so, mm. very much so. And also the energy in the land, you know. Mm. Um, and it was such a contrast to the Catholic Church and to you know, sitting in a very stark church. Easter used to be my worst time because it was so dark. That's mm. how I experienced it. And I'm not putting I'm not putting anything on that. It's just my experience I'm sure. talking of. Yeah. And I just experienced it so dark compared to what I know of life of being rich and, mm. and color. I see life as color. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, full color. Yeah. And that was just so stark and that was very difficult to be in. Yeah. For myself. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I wonder if it was Partly because you were, it sounds like you came from a family where that was really important to attend those services. So you, you know, it's kind of like a mandate. You had to be there. And sometimes in church services, I've seen the focus can be more on, like at Easter time, more on the grave, you know, <laughs> the negative side of things, rather than Easter is actually about new life, you know, and new possibilities and things. Yeah. But it, it all to, depends on how it's interpreted exactly. and, and portrayed. Yeah, that's right. I discovered that that later. And mm. the, there's magic in everything, right? It's just how it's interpreted. And yeah, yeah and um, I just, the, that was my experience of, of how it was all. And other people, you know, f- friends or growing up, whatever, they wouldn't have had the same experience, but it, it was a very strong imprint in, mm. in, in me. Yeah. that I had to undo to really find out who I am. Mm. Yeah, very, yeah. very, um, very strong work I had to do in that level. Mm. Yeah. And that work, did you, was it starting at that point, do you think? Or was no, it later on in later life? Later on, later yeah. on, yeah. Okay, yeah. well, let's get to that. But what happened next in terms of you had your 
career ambitions and business and yeah, things. So, yeah. yeah, where did that take you? Yeah, so I went to university, uh, uh, Trinity College, a small uh, business school p- uh, part of that, and for four years in Dublin. And that was amazing because that was, for me, freedom. Right. I could just be who I was. There was no boundaries or conditions. And, and I really learned the balance of play and work mm-hmm. and how they both can dance together. And uh, yeah, so I, I love that time in my life. I just felt so free and everything possible. Mm. Everything was possible. You know, just didn't think. You just moved with life. And mm. uh, yeah, so that was, that was a very rich, full four years. And from there, I then applied and I got a position with a big um, multinational company, which was all in line going tick, tick, tick. Yeah, right, that's yeah. what I want to do. <laughs> And that, that, so I manifested it all. And I started working with them in Ireland, and then I transferred to London. And I thought it's what I wanted to do, and I was doing well in it. But it was like you have a, a vision and mission, and then you, you get there, and it's, it's like, okay, I've ticked that box, but this does not satisfy a huge part of me. And that part that wasn't being met or reached or nourished kept growing louder and louder right so i would say my early 20s is when i first had i wouldn't call it a breakdown but like a Mm. depression Mm -hmm. um because i would look out at the world and go is this it all right i'm in this now and then it's like oh what this Mm. it's just this linear way my mind would go and i would experience the world and I just couldn't see myself living that. It just didn't fit. And, but I kept myself busy. I kept doing awesome adrenaline kind of things at weekends, you know, quashing that, uh, that voice, but it kept getting louder. Mm. Yeah, it just kept getting louder. And then um, one day my boss came into, we had our review and he said to me, Una, the only thing stopping you right now from whatever senior level it was, reaching is time and he thought he was like motivating me but actually he gave me the greatest gift because it was like he's just told me i can do it there's nothing left to prove right (laughs) he's just given me a ticket of freedom and i i left going i have to do something completely different here because i just was shriveling up and i talked to my then partner and we decided right let's throw it all in and go traveling that was in my late 20s Wow, that's yeah. interesting. Yeah. It's interesting as well, like that you'd been focused on it, and then the moment that you kind of achieved it, it was like, "Is that it?" <laughs> that's right. That's exactly right. So that yeah. focus kept me going in a li- you know in a linear direction plan. Yeah. And then it was like, hold on a minute, this is there were so many levels that just weren't met or nourished. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And my quest when I left, like I wrote a you know to do list and. My quest was, I want to find a way to be in life where my life is whole. So I don't have that, yay, it's Friday feeling. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, sort of by mid-afternoon on Sunday, you start having this knot in your stomach. And, you know, and when I was in the work and that was challenging and enjoyable, but it just what I, I knew there was a way to find life where it didn't matter what day of the week it was. Mm. That was my quest. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, that's great. So you go traveling, and where did you go? Just visiting different parts of the world? Uh, yeah, all, all traveled everywhere. I started off in America. I actually had a green card for America, so that was one option I could have taken. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was um, in a, um, what would you call it? a lottery system. 
and I, I got got I never up, up you know utilized that, but um, yeah. So travel through America, then um, to Fiji, and then to New Zealand. Mm-hmm. And I remember I remember traveling through New Zealand, going, "Why would you live here with all these earthquakes that could potentially <laughs> happen?" And you know, yeah. But I really found this land extraordinary and very powerful. Mm-hmm. So when I started traveling through here, I, it's like I started to wake up and process things. Hmm. Like things I had kept lids on, the, the lids wouldn't stay on them anymore. And I, I was like, oh my, I started having to look for self-help books and, you know, because there was a lot moving in me. It stirred up a lot, hmm. this land. So do you think the, the landscapes Absolutely. themselves? Absolutely, it's so alive. Right. Yeah, yeah. it's yeah. always changing, right? Yeah. Like nowhere else, shifting. Yeah, it's true. Millie. Four seasons in one day. And totally, but the land shifts, right? With yeah. the turbulence underneath and the activity, the volcanic activity, all of it's mm. alive. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So what happened? <laughs> <laughs> so then we went to uh, travel through Asia, and then I did a lot of um, meditation, yoga, sitting with yogis. Yeah, that became my quest to mm. really understand who I am, what's this life about, big questions. Yeah. And did a lot of writing, journaling, big, big questions for about a year, deep, deep into that. And I wasn't ready to go back to Ireland at that point. Um, just still hadn't got enough answers mm-hmm. so I moved to uh, my, my partner we moved to Melbourne and he got he got a transfer with his company he mm-hmm. was a tax accountant and that that point I went into a very kind of lost place because I was I didn't know who I was and I had to uncode my whole identity around business and I used to dread when somebody would say to me what do you do mm. Nothing, <laughs> no answer. Um, but it was a powerful process to strip away all the titles, all the external identities. And I, I started doing a yoga teacher training, which was very intense, which was great because it really helped me with that, that whole process. And um, because I had no money, I wanted to make gifts for friends. So I tasted this chocolate that this lady had made for a charity and I asked her for the recipe. Mm. And one day I started to make it. Hmm. And I had the same kind of moment like I had in that English exam. This download happened. I knew what to do. I knew how to change the recipe. I just had this extraordinary experience making these chocolates. It was, it was, there are no words for it. Yeah. And this magic opened up in me. And I didn't think I was creative. I thought I was quite mindy. And, you know, I'm, I'm a terrible artist. But then my, my understanding of, art you know creativity and art was quite limited Mm. in terms of what that was you know defined as growing up and and I kept following that because it was so not addictive but just such it took me to such a different place than anything I had known Mm. in being in 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 the form of of you know the body and this present this world but also creating something from a another place Mm. And everybody just loved these chocolates. <laughs> That's great. And if you reflected on, the, obviously, that moment and where that was coming from, or what, what well, do you think's going on? Well, I mean, it depends on what you know, everybody believes. Are, but for me, I have an ancient connection to cacao, and that's been revealed more and more and more. So I don't know what it's like a great artist or a great musician. Mm-hmm. What makes them so you know, everything aligned for that power and magnificence to come through. Mm-hmm. 
that cracked up with me that time I made the first chocolate. This mm. connection and inner knowing of just like nothing I had experienced before. Yeah, yeah. that's amazing. Yeah. Well, it sounds like that's kind of shaped your life. Since so, that moment. Uh, yeah, I would love to find out a little bit more just in terms of cacao itself, yes. because I think for some of us, well, I, I'm definitely not an expert. So yeah. can you tell us a little bit about it and what are we actually talking about? Maybe some of the history yeah. that would be really helpful to lead into what you're doing now. So, so then, you know, even my journey kind of parallels that because I just kept going from that point of chocolate, which everybody knows. Yeah. It's a universal food of love, right? Mm. You need an uplift or whatever, you reach for chocolate, which is a con- completely innate, innate calling natural um, but as I started journeying more and more so then I you know moved to New Zealand created um, a chocolate brand that was, was well renowned here won lots of awards just following that language of, of chocolate as an as an art mm. and creating very complex beautiful flavors but um, I was just reflecting on this as I was driving here when my 40th birthday started approaching it was like this dark shadow was coming behind me and I was trying to <laughs> keep going ahead of it but literally on my 40th birthday day, this cracking happened in me and I went into a very very dark place mm-hmm. and you know we had the earthquakes in Christchurch and it was a level of PTSD mm-hmm. and it was also a level of all the places I hadn't met in myself and for about two years I went into chronic depression um, anxiety to the to the extreme you know I just became skin and bone I just couldn't function mm. and you know I got to a point a couple of things happened and it was like a wake-up call I've got to do something and you get to such a low place it's so impossible to do anything for yourself I have such compassion for anybody in that place because it's almost impossible to come out of it because mm. it's so negative it takes so much to say one yes to life and you keep saying no and thinking that will keep you safe and you just go deeper and deeper and deeper mm-hmm. so a couple of things took place and I, I googled natural antidepressants because I didn't want to take antidepressants mm-hmm. I took one and I immediately felt my mind being numbed and cacao came up with Google thank you Google for that moment <laughs> cacao came up with another powerful plant medicine called maca and so I started taking not chocolate because I'm still working with chocolate, but cacao. So cacao is like the pure form that then turns into chocolate. Mm. And within 10 days, I started to have this little piece of light that actually was allowed me to take those steps to start saying yes to life. Mm. It was an extraordinary impact. And I've seen the same happen with other people. And from that place, I just knew I have to serve this more deeply. And that's when I really started entering cacao rather than chocolate and mm. going back and back and back into the history, into connecting to, to her. And so cacao is ancient. So cacao is the actual bean that grows in the pod in the tropics and beautiful, gorgeous trees mm-hmm. originated in Central and South America. There's always like conversations where it really originated, but that was just that was just one you know area, and so every every country they have their own ancient story about her, and I call her her because mm-hmm. she's like a mother plant, and they have you know the Ish cacao is the name of the cacao goddess, 
And they really celebrated her for abundance, for bringing joy and upliftment and balance. So they would drink her after a day of working in the fields to celebrate life, to re-nourish themselves and to, to dance and to be in celebration. And she was mainly consumed as a drink. And then her journey started to change in terms of her power started to be known. And even in South and Central America, um, she started becoming a real um, coin. So actually they use her as a currency. So she started being removed from sort of the village life to being more in the upper echelon of the royalty of South and Central America. And they, they traded with her. So emperor's wealth was actually determined in Kakawa. And when the Spanish came or were looking for gold, they kept offering them cacao, sacks of cacao, because that was their gold. Yeah, so um, very ancient medicine, mm. always known as her, her abundance and her medicine, not mm. as chocolate for thousands of years. Right. Yeah. 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 It's amazing. It's always interesting to think that what we take for granted today, like you could go into a supermarket in any part of the world and you could buy a chocolate bar, yeah. you know, but to think through the history and, um, you know, where do things come from and, you know, corn and tomatoes and all these different varieties That's and right. what's the actual origin. Yeah. 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 So, what, so what happened next? Did, when did the Europeans kind of realize, oh, there's something to this, yeah. this uh, yeah. you know, new, new So, thing. of course, the, the Spanish, and, you know, um, were went to South and Central America, and mm -hmm. I won't say too much in that in terms of um, what took place there, but they, they noticed this drink. So what would take place, they would grind, the, they would roast the beans over the open fire. Mm -hmm. So the beans are naturally fermented in their fruit, in this pot. The fruit's this gorgeous tropical fruit, but the beans seeds sit in the fruit, they ferments, so they're no longer alive. So I can bring these in from the, the Solomon Islands because they're not an, an alive seed because they've been fermented. So then they're gently roasted, peeled, and then they're ground into a paste. So they would do that between stones I see. in the villages. And this aroma of cacao, chocolate, what it rubs, just gorgeous. Mm. And then they would whip it with water and local spices, mm. sometimes hot, sometimes cold, but they would prepare it for hours, mm. this beautiful drink, but no sugar. So when the Spanish came, initially they didn't like it. It's like having your first beer or red wine, or it's like it's too bold on the palate. Right. Um, but they really noticed its effect. So they brought it back to Europe and added sugar. Ah. So that was around in the early 1500s. So it was a really, really big drink in the royal courts. Mm -hmm. It was our first drinking chocolate, but it was a whole bean ground down into a paste right. with sugar added. And it was far superior to tea or coffee, and the cup and saucer was invented for drinking chocolate. Hmm. So they wouldn't, you know, spill one drop. So it spread throughout all the courts of Europe, this drink called drinking chocolate. Hmm. Um, and then as, as time evolved by accident or different ways, it started being put into pastries. And the first factories were creating to supply this cacao mass, pure bean ground down to the royal courts. But also uh, the monks used to use it a lot for medicine because they traveled with the conquistadors and they knew of its magic and its power. So they actually prescribed it a lot back in the 1700s, 1800s mm. as a medicine. And then the Industrial Revolution came and a scientist discovered how to actually break that bean. And this is where 
totally changed. Mm-hmm. So we're talking about thousands of years this bean being used. Even the royal courts, he discovered how to br- break the bean into its two main ingredients. So everybody knows those two main ingredients, but they kind of don't put them together. So one is the dark part of the bean, which is the cocoa powder or cacao powder. Mm-hmm. Same thing. And then the other one is the fat, which is cocoa butter or cacao butter, mm. which gets used a lot in the cosmetic industry. So because of that split, the journey started to change. So the cocoa powder started being used in drinking chocolate. Mm-hmm. Milo, cocoa, because then that became more affordable. And then the butter and the fat was sold off to the pharmaceutical industry and was a very powerful carrier for other medicines. Mm-hmm. And at that point, the journey of chocolate started to change and evolve. And um, one company discovered by adding more of that cocoa butter back in, you could make this velvety, smooth liquid, which was so good, you could just eat it. Hmm. And so that's how eating chocolate came about. Up to then, it was a drink, then into baking, and then suddenly this velvety, smooth Mm. liquid that you can actually eat. And around that time as well, because, you know, um, presentation was so important in terms of the feasts and banquets. They discovered how to do something called tempering it, hmm. which is what makes it look shiny. So now they had this glossy, shiny, velvety, smooth ingredient hmm. that you could eat. Yeah. But that was chocolate was always at that from that point on made from the bean being broken. Right. And I use the word broken because that's when her medicine was forgotten. That's when her thousands of years history was forgotten. And it became more into chocolate. Right. And then as time has evolved, more things added like sugar and milk and lecithin and different things that kind of diluted down her power and made it more of a confectionery and a sweet treat rather than the powerful medicine it is. Right. And it is possible to have chocolate as a whole bean without splitting her. And that's mm. when you get her medicine and the gorgeousness of chocolate. Yeah. And I believe it should be both. Yeah. <laughs> wow, that's amazing. Well, I definitely didn't know all of that history. So yeah. thank you very much. What era was it becoming more common than like for, a, I guess, a, a person in the street would go and buy chocolate? Yeah. Was so the 19, like, 1900s, yeah. uh, it became like for a drink and it be, what became known to drink at night time. Okay. Um, most definitely. Yeah. Um, and then the late 1900s, chocolate factories like Hershey's, Cadbury's, Hershey's, yeah. they started being established to make it as a drinking chocolate and then as a, as a chocolate tablet. Um, and much more affordable yeah. because the butter was really valuable. So they would get a lot of money for the butter. Uh-huh. And then the powder with a little bit of butter mixed back in could make this nice drink and chocolate. Mm. Yeah. 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 Because when I think of it today, I remember going to the Hershey's Chocolate Factory in in America, it was, as a child, and they would show you the different flavors and varieties and things. Like, it's become such a probably multi-billion dollar industry. Like, if, if you go anywhere, you go to buy petrol, well, there's some chocolate on yes. there. You know, there's Mars bars, there's all these different types of chocolate. And it's really become a huge, huge industry, hasn't it? A huge industry. And when that happens, there's then that disconnect from the ingredient that makes it and mm. from the growers who grow it. Mm. And, of course, that, that's what ha- has happened. And so, like, uh, cacao, cocoa was sort of the industrial name for it, is, you know, traded on the World Stock Exchange. It's one of the top traded commodities mm. because of the billions of kilos that are made around the world. The yeah. first disconnect is just... 
the actual beans themselves being split yes. and then used for this type of product and then the other for cosmetics right. rather than integrating them more fully and recognizing potentially the medicinal factors, you know, the legacy of it's one thing, not yes. split. But then the second bit that you've hinted at and I'd love to find out more about is in terms of the workers or the, you know, the industry behind the scenes that when we go to buy a chocolate bar, we're probably not thinking about how did this product get to us? Yes. So I'd love to find out more about that yeah, as well. Yeah, absolutely. So that I can take you on a, um, a little journey to, to the Solomon Islands. So f cacao grew in South and Central America. Nowhere else in the world knew about it. Mm. But of course, once the, the different um, countries of Europe discovered it, they carried it to their colonies. So then it spread throughout the world. And so now it grows everywhere, 20 degrees north or south of the equator, pretty right. much, right? So okay. any tropical country you go to visit, ask, is there a cacao farm here? Because <laughs> it's an amazing thing to visit, yeah. So go, go inquire. Yeah. Um, the closest place to New Zealand is the Pacific Islands. So um, I started working with Fiji, then Samoa, and most recently in the last two and a half years with the Solomon Islands. When I went to the Solomon Islands, cacao was brought there 70 years ago. They were taught how to grow it. A farmer in the Solomon Islands will go to the shop to buy a little sachet of Milo as a treat. They do not know that those pods and those seeds that they grow is what makes that Milo. Mm. That's the level of disconnect from most growing countries around the world, right. even where it originated, to the actual ingredient. They think of it it's like white man's food, it's for something called chocolate that they don't even taste. You know, we're talking about 30 degrees average every day. Mm. Chocolate, as we know it, would just melt. Mm. So my journey in the Solomon Islands has been teaching the villagers how they can actually use their own cacao. I see. It's the high source of plant-based iron, magnesium, natural high in zinc. It releases endorphins and has chemicals that gives us that natural upliftment, but not too much. So it's just it's that nice upliftment, positive. That's what we always feel good when we eat chocolate. It's so good for their diet, but also they grow it. So they should know how to use it and let it be part of their day-to-day -day life. Mm -hmm. And it's extraordinary watching the difference when that happens. Mm -hmm. Because not only do they know how to use it, and they have their own chocolate and own drinking chocolate because we actually pound the bean, mix it. They drink their own chocolate in the village now. They also know what good cacao is and also that, you know, they, they can't be ripped off like they have been mm. because they had no connection to this crop. So they could just be offered anything and they would be grateful. And that's just such a... I, I counted up once. There's at least 20 touch points where money is made till you take your industrial bar of chocolate off the shelf. Right. Wow. So that's how much profit is made in that maybe $4 bar of chocolate, mm -hmm. particularly if it's imported from Europe. And the farmer's the one who squeezed the most, of course, mm. in terms of the value. Mm -hmm. It's quite a long chain. Mm. And the, the thing about the cacao bean is that it cannot be replicated, its flavor profile in the, in the lab. So anything that, you, that has chocolate in it, the cheapest cookie, the cheapest ice cream, if it's chocolate flavor, it will be something to do with the bean in there mm. because they can't fake it. Mm. So those price points, somebody is being squeezed to the extreme. Mm. And so it's, it's all about education um, for people to have that knowledge, 
for consumers to know that so they can make different choices. And it is possible. Mm. We shorten that supply chain. We uplift the farmers' lives. We make a connection between the consumers and the farmers and this whole beautiful story. And the story starts to change. And that's what we're seeing happen in the Solomon Isles with mm. the work I'm involved in. So there would be a chance to ethically source or fair Abs- trade source. Absolutely. That sort of yeah. A, yeah. And even the word fair trade or organic, it's, it's not enough. Right. Because it's, it's like guaranteed a particular price. But that price does not mean it, um, a sustainable life for the farmers. Mm. So I often get asked, are we going to run out of cocoa beans, cacao beans? Because there's growing, growing demand. But from what I've seen, we're going to run out of farmers. Because you go onto these farms and it's average maybe late 50s. All the youth have left. Mm. Because there isn't acknowledgement enrichment or 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 money in in the actual farming Mm. but when you go there and you you share how much people love their beans and chocolate they're like really and and we do we love chocolate Mm. and they need to deserve to love what they do because of the impact it has Mm. you know yeah it strikes me you bring the passion to the the whole story you know the history the farmers are caring about them, what happens. And um, I'm just reminded of the, you know, the Roald Dahl story about Willy Wonka yes. and the chocolate factory. And I've always, I've always thought that that story is an amazing one because you look at the passion that Willy Wonka has for the chocolate and for the, the things. And, of course, there's all these humorous things that happen. But behind it all is this entrepreneur who wants to bring joy to the children you know, through the chocolate or the bubble gums or the whatever else yeah. is. And the extraordinary thing in that movie is how much do people change? Mm. It's all about the magic happening of the change. Mm-hmm. And, and for me, that's what Kakawa does as well. Like when you really work with her and with the, the, the beauty of, of, of chocolate, even if somebody comes to a workshop and you just learn how to play with it and temper it, you change. Mm. Something changes inside because mm. there's, there's magic in that. And particularly when you do things from knowing the source of the ingredient and honoring the growers and mm. all of that included, it's a whole experience. Mm. And I think we really need that as, as humanity. Yeah. Whole experiences that includes everything and it's, it's a complete taste, not just in the taste profile, but everybody in the whole supply of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah that makes sense. So today you're, you're um, doing a lot as an ambassador can you describe what that means to yeah. you? Like an ambassador is a great term. What does it mean for you to be taking that label? Yeah, so um, the cacao ambassador, so it's not, it's not just me. So it started off as, 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 as my expression um, because when I was in that place of brokenness, just like Kakawa, mm-hmm. and, you know, I really heard her speak to me and, and she really really shared and I share this and it took me a few years to have the courage to share this thing people think I'm crazy but um, just really about how important she is for these times and you know everybody knows chocolate so that's fantastic Mm. cacao herself because she it's like in New Zealand you know our rivers and our mountains they are beings Mm. we acknowledge that and for me cacao is a being and and when we and that's kind of part of my connection. I always knew in Ireland that that connection to nature as 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 um, as beings, mm. not separate from us. So she really shared that she wants her her voice and her medicine to be known in the world, and she gave me that mission: mm. speak for her, share 
share her voice, but in a really modern way. Um, you know, I don't have an, uh, a lineage in terms of from the ancient cultures who held her and honored her, but I have a connection for whatever crazy reason. So to really be the voice for that. And, and for me, that breaks down into like four key areas. The first one is the farmers. Caring and showing how it's possible to ethically source, include them, not just in money, but actually on the ground change that's needed because every village in every country is unique. Mm -hmm. What's right for one is not necessarily right for another and money's not always the answer. Mm -hmm. Like in the Solomon Islands, if you pay great money, then that could just go into alcohol and beetle nuts and more domestic violence, which is rife there, which is heartbreaking. So it's not always the answer. It's a balance of different ways to create mm -hmm. true wholeness there for their own empowerment, for the, the farmers and the communities. Mm -hmm. So really changing that supply chain and showing what's possible to inspire and being a connector. Mm -hmm. Because there's so many chocolate companies who, would, who love that ethical. They want that, but they don't have the skill to go there or the, the funding to do that. So I provide that link but also i want to create models that are replicable yes into different locations around the world so it's not just the solomon islands but for now that's the growing part mm -hmm. for, for this and then the second area is education so really educating consumers not just what chocolate is mm -hmm. but how you can buy good chocolate but even more so how if you buy cacao beans how you can make your own chocolate at home mm -hmm. That's how magical it is. And everybody thinks it's something you have to go and buy. But just like with beer or cheese, you can actually make your own chocolate from the cacao bean at home. Mm. And that's the best, the freshest, the most extraordinary. Mm. So, um, yeah, so really educating on that side. And also the health benefits, the mental wellness. Mm. Because, like I said, she's a food for these times. We're under such pressure of change. Mm. You know, we go through so much change, right? In mm. a week versus century maybe you know centuries ago and it's my own direct experience and it's scientifically proven how she helps mind body and spirit as as a food the ingredient mm -hmm. from the things i listed before from the chemicals she releases and you know, just that sensation of eating gorgeous mm -hmm. chocolate there's mm -hmm. nothing like it yeah it really isn't yeah. <laughs> yeah so that's the second mission and then the third mission is to show how the chocolate industry can actually change. How actually, in a, in a big way, in big companies, you can actually change mm. the supply chain. Mm. And it's possible. It's not just boutique craft companies. Actually, it can be done on a big scale. Mm. And then my, the final mission is to really build community. And that's to really build that connection, that story, for people to have a sense of belonging. Mm. It's part of a bigger picture. Mm. So you love chocolate, you can enter it, you can feel the difference you're making there, you know, so that people feel whole and enriched just by eating a chocolate bar and knowing they're making a difference. And again, I think we really need that as humanity, this, this higher level of belonging. Mm. I, that's, you know, I didn't have that when I was in the corporate world or that it was like too linear, too shallow. And even in the simplest way, to belong in something bigger, I think it changes us. Yeah. Oh, that's great. Well, what we'll do is we can put in the show notes links to different things. Yes, so if right. there's education or videos or whatever you want, yeah. we'll drop it in the show notes. So if people are listening and they're interested, they can click and great. find out more. I like the idea that by drinking chocolate I, or eating chocolate, I would be doing good in some way as well. That, that justifies it, right? For and a bigger community, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, totally. And that's what 
to change that because we love chocolate, but there is this underlying guilt mm. that kind of goes back in there. Go, mm, maybe I shouldn't have some today. I, I really want this. I really enjoyed it. But now I feel guilty. Mm-hmm. But when you really know about cacao and chocolate and and the right way to have it, mm. you can have it all day long. Yeah, I well, do. The, the the powerful thing as well because I've I've had some. We came down one time and yeah. and had some chocolate. You selected a variety of different types and flavors and things, and it you know. If it's really good chocolate, you don't actually need that much. Like a tiny little bit is very, very powerful, isn't it? Like it it's gets right. in your mouth and it's yeah. like, wow, I've never tasted anything like that. Whereas maybe the more industrialized is watered down and yes. it's not the same thing. Yes, yeah. yeah. So when the, the cacao bean itself has over 200 tasting notes. Right. So it's very complex. And then the cacao butter is very sensual. So chocolate's actually a really sensory experience. And so you feel very satisfied mm. when you have it, but also the way you have it. You know, so you could just chew it. So I always encourage people to actually chew it, let it melt, because mm. then you're actually experiencing its the, the mouth feel of it and the whole the whole senses of it. Mm. And when you do that with presence and mindfulness, you need a lot less for mm. sure. Yeah, mm. yeah. And then different ways to enjoy it. Like you, if you have a hundred percent chocolate, so that means there's no sugar added to it, and we call that cacao paste or you can add it to savory food. It's mm. amazing in soups and different things. And there's like a thousand ways to use it. Mm. We only use a small little bit, but it's the most magical ingredient. Yeah. Well, I think for most of us, and I'm including myself, we we haven't really thought of it in this way. Mm. So it's really helpful to hear from you about the potential. Because in a way, we're at the beginning of the journey we of, are. of what it could be used for. Cause exactly. If you think about the power of bringing it back and unifying it, and then the medicinal qualities and you know there's a lot there that could be unpacked and we probably don't know yet all the benefits yeah yeah there'll be there'll be a lot more discover for sure and uh you know i really want to go into much more research on it as well particularly in the in the harvesting of it because you know for the last three four hundred years it's all been about the flavor profile for chocolate Right. But what if we adjust the fermentation time or a different, slightly different things to actually increase the health benefits mm. while also it tasting amazing? There's even more power and possibility, mm. you know, in that. And I would just love to see the cacao bean as an ingredient in every home mm. because, one, it's so good for us, so much you can do with it. And then also it creates a whole new market for the farmers. Mm. They're not just relying on chocolate companies. Mm-hmm. Consumers are buying the bean. Mm. Yeah. Why not? Yeah. It's an amazing ingredient. Yeah. Well, what we'll do, we'll put some links in, and that way people can explore it more. But it's really fascinating talking with you, hearing about your background as well, and just what's kind of led to this moment. And I'm, you know, with that inspiration in the test, writing down, and then the same feeling or the same energy that you got creating the chocolate. Mm-hmm. That's really interesting because I think it does speak to a deeper, almost subconscious level where things are going on that you can't explain with words even. It just, it comes out. And I'm actually really glad to hear about your story because so often people go through life and they never ever discover that. They never have that moment. And yet you've been able to have it and now being able to advocate for that. So yeah, yeah, it's changed my life. And and now back to that point, my life is whole. Mm -hmm. So it doesn't matter what day of the week it is for me. Yeah. Yeah. It's one, it's one life. One yeah. breath, and yeah. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show. I really appreciate it, and um, I've certainly learned a lot about this topic. <laughs> Wonderful. Um, so, yeah, thank you. I'm so happy to share it, and, 
and enrich everybody's life with cacao and chocolate. Yeah. Great. Thank you so much. Well, I do hope you enjoyed that interview with Una. For me, there were several things that stood out, and I loved how chocolate has become such a passion for her. You could really hear that in all of her stories. Make sure to check out her website, which is in the show notes. Until next time. (laughs) 